Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Before we start the show, I want to let you know something. My latest novel, Personal Fable, is free for the next uh, few days. So if you're hearing this ad, it's currently free if you're a Kindle user. So just look it up on your Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can even get one of those for free by getting the free Kindle app on your phone. And then head over, get Personal Fable, have a read, and if you love it, leave a review. And I hope you love the story. Now, let's get on with the podcast. P.S. The promotion runs the 11th, 12th, and 13th of March. Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast. Talking about War and Peace, Book 2, Chapter 11. How do you think Andrew's routine and determination, even early in the morning, will serve him in the coming months? The article for today is particularly good read and very relevant to this question. Oh, that's the Brian E. Denton Medium article. Check that out if you haven't already. Was he bragging when he told of his meeting with the Emperor? I think... I didn't see... Um, bragging kind of, but more like using it to prove a point that he had better things to do than to just like, you know, muck around with these hooligans. Rick Evans says this, It was interesting... To see a return of Ippolit, who, if I remember correctly, is the son of the scheming Prince Vasily. You do indeed. And he also was the one that kind of was uh, flirting, but very dopely, with Andre's wife. And there's a line in this chapter where it said something like, you know, he he confesses that it, he almost felt jealous when um, Ippolit was talking to his wife. Uh, they don't seem a very nice family, and his loush nature is in stark contrast with Andre's. Worried coffee, fee, fee, fee. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Yawning while I talk. I think Andre got a reminder of one of the main reasons he wanted to join the war in the first place after meeting this group of in Billabin's study, especially when Epulet speaks. While I think it showed previously that Andre might miss some of the comforts of home, he doesn't seem to miss the drawing room culture that is going strong among the war's diplomatic circles. There might have been a hint of bragging in seeing the Emperor, though, so maybe Andre might be a little more like those within high society than he'd like to admit. Oh yeah, true. Um... Uh, sorry, Dog Lady one two three four five seven um, says, "I think I I think having a strict routine of any kind might not fare well in war. Being able to be adaptable is far more helpful, in my opinion. I'm picturing a situation where he's kept up until two a.m. and has to sleep well past four to get enough sleep. If it were me, I'd get cranky. Oh yeah, me too for sure. Um." Zukov17 said, It's funny to me the way that Andre may have worried about Ippolit earlier in the novel with his wife. Let's think about how complex this is. Andre doesn't really love his wife, but was concerned when he noticed this idiot, Ippolit, flirting with her. Now he sees that Ippolit is the fool of this group of his friends, and he loses concern, even though it's verified that he indeed does very well with the ladies. It seems that Ippolit is a bigger threat now that he was than he was in part one but Andre has lost concern 
That's how it is in life sometimes. You just don't know what a person's true feelings, perceptions, attitudes, or objectives are. Brian E. Denton said, I get up at 4 a.m. every day, so I love Andre's practice here. Helps me focus the mind and remain productive. Damn, man, that's a very early start. Nicely done. Four souls in a bowl says, Can anyone decipher Ippolit's political diatribe? I assume he came across like a fool, but I couldn't make heads nor tails of it. Um, I think that was kind of the point. I think the thing they were laughing at was how much he didn't seem to be making any sense. But Corsho has responded saying, His diatribe is based on an actual... The actual fact that Russian Emperor Alexander, His Majesty, tried and failed to convince Prussia, the Berlin cabinet, to join the anti-French alliance. There you go. So does that mean Prussia is an ally of France, or are they just a impartial party? I don't know. I don't know enough about it. All right, let's read chapter 12 i think it might be a little longer ish this one i think it's about four pages as opposed to the usual three so let's get stuck into it at the levy prince andre stood with the austrian officers as he was introduced as he was instructed to and the emperor francis merely took a long look into his face gave a nod with his long head and moved on but after it was over the overly polite adjutant from the day before ceremoniously informed bolkonski that the emperor desired to give him an audience the emperor francis received him standing in the middle of the room it struck andre that to start with the emperor seemed flustered and bashful uh, uh tell me when did the battle begin he asked hurriedly prince andre replied the emperor asked more questions how was kutuzov when did he leave krems and stuff like that the emperor spoke as if his only aim was to ask a certain number of questions. The answers to those questions he didn't remotely care. What o'clock was it when the battle started? asked the emperor. I cannot say exactly what time the battle started at the front, but where I was in Durrenstein, our attack started at five in the afternoon, replied Bolkonsky, growing more animated as he anticipated having a chance to give his own account of the battle, which he had already already to go in his head. But the emperor smiled and cut in. How many miles? From where to where, your majesty? From Dorenstein to Krems. About three and a half miles, your majesty. The French have abandoned the left flank. The scouts said the last of them crossed on rafts during the night. Is there enough forage in Krems? No, there's not enough forage for... What o'clock was it when General Schmidt was killed? The emperor interrupted. At seven o'clock, I think... Seven. How sad, how very sad. The emperor thanked him and bowed. Prince Andre took off and was immediately surrounded by the emperor's courtiers. Everywhere he looked were these sudden ass-kisses. The over-polite adjutant chided him for not staying at the palace, then offered him his own house. The minister of war approached to congratulate him on the Maria Theresa Order of the Third Grade, when the emperor was going to bestow that the which the emperor was going to bestow upon him. The Empress Chamberlain invited him to visit Her Majesty. The Archduchess, who also wanted to see him, apparently, and Prince Andre did not know how, who to answer. Then the Russian ambassador grabbed his shoulder and steered him to the window and started talking to him. Contrary to Bilibin's prediction, the news he had brought was well received. They all seemed stoked. A service was arranged to show thanks. Kutuzov was awarded the 
Grand Cross of Maria Theresa, and the whole army received awards, Bolskonsky was getting invitations left, right and centre, and had to spend most of the day calling in on important Austrian dignitaries. At about 4.30 in the Arvo, having finished his little tour, he started heading back to Bilibin's house, thinking up a letter to his father about the battle and his visit to Brunn. At Bilibin's, he found a carriage half full of luggage. Franz Bilibin's servant, Franz Bilibin's servant, was struggling to drag a large suitcase out of the front door. Before returning to Bilibin's, Prince Andre had perused a bookstore and grabbed a couple of books for his campaign. What's happening here? he asked. Oh, your excellency, said Franz, now wrestling the suitcase into the carriage. We've got to move even further on. That mongrel bastard is nipping at our heels again. Huh? What? asked Prince Andre. Bilibin came out to him, all hot and bothered in the face. Well, shit, isn't this just beautiful, said he. This nonsense with the Thaber Bridge in Vienna, they just strolled right over it. Prince Andre wasn't following. But where have you been to not know any of this? Every coachman and his dog knows. Oh, I was at the Archduchess's. I heard nothing, said Andre. And you didn't notice that everyone was packing up? No, I didn't. Why? What's happening? Prince Andre asked impatiently. What's happening? The bloody French have crossed the bridge that Osberg was defending, and they never blew it up. So now Murat is hauling ass along the road to Brunn. He'll be here in a day or two. What? Here? Here, here? Why didn't they blow up the bridge if it was rigged? That's my question. No one knows. Not even Bonaparte. Bolkonsky shrugged his shoulders. But if they've crossed the bridge, that would mean the army is lost too. It will be cut off, said he. That's just it, answered Bilibin. Listen, the French entered Vienna, just like I told you. Fine. Then, the next day, which was yesterday, those fine gentlemen, Murat, Lanes, and Belliard, Messieurs les Marchaux, the marshals, rode to the bridge. Note, all of them are Gascons. One of them says, Gentlemen, you know the Thaber Bridge is rigged to the gills, and that the fortifications at its head are a real prick, and an army of 15,000 men have been ordered to blow up the bridge and not let us pass. But how rapt will our sovereign, the Emperor Napoleon, be if we take this bridge? So let's take it. And the others shout, yeah, let's do it. And off they go to take the bridge, cross it, and now their whole army are on this side of the Danube, marching on us and you and your lines of communication. You're shitting me, aren't you? said Prince Andre, sadly and seriously. This news was shocking, terrible, and somehow pleasing to him. As soon as it dawned on him how bad the situation was for the Russian army, he knew it was his destiny to lead them out of it. This would be his Toulon, the thing that would propel him up the ranks from a nobody to a big fat somebody. He was already daydreaming about it while Bilibin spoke, how he would return to the army and lay out a brilliant plan for the to the war council, then they would entrust him alone to carry it out. For real? Are you shitting me? He said. Nah, mate, for real, Bilibin went on. I'm 100% serious and 100% shattered. These gentlemen rode onto the bridge, waving white handkerchiefs, assuring the officer on duty that they were only coming to negotiate with Prince Orsberg. He lets them into the bridge. They spin a thousand gas grenades, saying the war is over. 
that Emperor Francis is arranging to meet with Bonaparte, that they'd like to see Prince Osberg, stuff like that. The officer sends for Osberg. The French marshals continue charming the officers, cracking jokes, sitting on the cannon, and meanwhile a French battalion sneaks up to the bridge and takes off the explosives, flings it in the water. Flings them... Fling them in. Flings. Uh, meanwhile, the French battalion sneaks up onto the bridge and takes off the explosive, flings them in the water, and approaches the bridgehead. Eventually, dear old Prince Osberg von Morton himself arrives. Enemy, darling, flower of the Austrian army, hero of the Turkish wars. The hostilities have ended. Get your butt over here and shake my hand. The Emperor Napoleon simply burns with desire to meet you, Prince Orsberg. Woo-woo. Basically, those gentlemen, Gascons indeed, blew so much smoke up his ass, and he was so flattered to suddenly be besties with the famous French marshals, and so bedazzled by Murat's ostrich plume pizzazz, that his eyes are full of fire, and he forgets to fire at the baddies. Even though he was all worked up, Bilibin didn't forget to pause for a moment after unleashing this Bilibin phrase to allow for its full appreciation. The French battalion rushes the bridgehead, speak, spikes, spi- spikes the cannons, and captures the bloody bridge. But you want to know the best bit? He went on, and now he was so captivated by his own story that he was becoming less flustered is that the sergeant in charge of the cannon which was supposed to signal them to blow up the bridge well he saw the french troops running onto the bridge and was about to give the cannon signal but lanes stopped him the sergeant clearly smarter than his general went up to osberg and said prince they're fucking us over look here comes the french murat the sly dog sees this and realizes that if this man is allowed to speak their plan is screwed so he turns to Osberg with a fake, with fake astonishment. He is a true Gascon and says, "Oh, here I was looking forward to seeing some of that world-famous Austrian discipline from you, and you let your subordinate talk to you like that, which was just bloody genius." Prince Osberg feels his manhood threatened and immediately orders his sergeant to be arrested. I mean, you've got to admit this whole Thaber Bridge fiasco is just perfect. It's not exactly stupidity or mischief. Treachery might be the word," said Prince Andre. Vividly imagining the glory that awaited him, grey overcoats, gunpowder, smoke rising, shots firing, soldiers falling. No, not treachery either, that sheds bad light on the court, replied Bilibin. Not mischief, not stupidity, not treachery, no, it's like what happened at Ulm. It's... He seemed to be searching for the right word. It's a mack. We've been bloody macked, he concluded, feeling like he'd just concocted another trademark Bilibin phrase. A good one, one that would be repeated. His brow, which had been crinkled up until now, smoothed out to show his satisfaction, and then he smirked and examined his nails. "'Where are you off to?' he said suddenly to Prince Andre, who had gotten up to head to his room. "'I'm off.' "'Off to where?' "'To the army. But you're supposed to stay two more days.' "'Yep, but I'm heading off now instead.' Prince Andre gave some instructions about his departure, then went to his room. "'You know, mate,' said Bilibin, following him, I've been thinking about you. Why should you go? And as if to prove his point was airtight, all the wrinkles vanished from his face. Prince Andre gave a curious look at him and didn't reply. Why should you go? I think, I know you think it's up to you to gallop back there and save the day. I get that. 
but it's just heroism. No, not at all, said Prince Andre. But you're something of a philosopher, so philosophize this. On the other hand, your duty isn't to be a hero, it is to take care of yourself. Leave the heroism to those who have nothing else to offer. You haven't been ordered to return, and you haven't been dismissed from here. Therefore, you can come with us, wherever our bad luck takes us. They reckon we'll be going to Ulmutz next, and Ulmutz is a beautiful town. You and I will travel in the luxury of my Kalish. Really, Bilibin, stop taking the piss, cried Bolkonsky. I am being real. As as a mate, I'm saying this. Consider it. Where are you going and why, when you can stay with me? You have two choices. And he raised his left eyebrow. Either you will get there before they reach a peaceful conclusion, or you will go down in Kutuzov's sinking ship. And Bilbin unwrinkled his forehead, feeling like they'd never solved this dilemma. I can't argue about it, said Prince Andre coldly, but he thought, I'm going to save the army. Or I may be a hero, said Bilbin. All right, that's the chapter for you. Beautiful. Loved it. Have your say on the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.